I'm Vic Singh, and you're listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that breaks down every episode of The Sopranos one at a time. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get shows. And as always, thank you so much for listening and being a part of this amazing and surreal journey. This is a conversation I had with Sandra Santiago, who played Jeannie Cusamano on the show. Sandra spoke to me from New York. We discuss her early involvement with the show, being shortlisted for the role of Dr. Melfi, being on Johnny Carson, and various twists and turns along the way. Though she was an ancillary character on the show, when she was on, you knew she was on. Her presence was clear. And after talking to her and hearing her stories about the experience, I understand why. So here it is, my conversation with Sandra. I'd like to just start at the beginning. First, I want to thank you, Sandra, for being on the podcast. It's always special to talk to people who are part of the show and um, getting a glimpse into what it was like from all these various prisms has been a lot of fun and really rewarding for not only for myself as obviously obsessive fan of the show who's devoting so much time to this, but also to <laughs> but also to the listeners. The listeners love to hear anything and everything. It might sound like an insignificant thing to you, but um, just being there gives you a whole bunch of sort of insights that that fans clamor for. So thank you again. Oh, you're welcome. I thought we'd start at the very beginning, if it's okay. How did you get started in acting? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, well, that's always a long story for most people, but I'll try and make mine really short. Basically, I was going to the University of Miami on scholarship. I was studying psychology and social studies and all that stuff. I was going to be a teacher. I don't know what, I didn't know what kind at that moment, but I was, you know, I was a freshman. And then in my sophomore year, um, some guy came up to me on campus and asked me to do his project for his directing class. And it was a play, uh, a Eugene UNESCO play. And I said, I'm not an actress. And he said, well, you're exactly what I want for the role. So I, I went home, I discussed it with my father, and my father said, yeah, Sandy, try it. And I tried it, and then I caught what you call the uh, the bug, the acting bug. How long after that uh, did the Miami Vice run happen? Well, okay, I, I continued. I, I ultimately changed majors. I went into the theater. And I actually studied with the likes of Ray Liotta, Stephen Bauer. Um, we did a lot of plays together. They were a little older than me, but we did a ton of plays together. Were they also in Florida? Yeah, they were going to the University of Miami okay. to the theater department. Ray, Ray was, uh, and um, Rocky had to leave early because he went to L.A. L.A. was calling him. Ray, Ray went to New York, I guess. He started on a soap opera, and then he ultimately made his way, you know, to uh, um, the big time. And um, I didn't feel as comfortable, so I continued studying at SMU. I went to SMU 
the graduate program there, and they have a very, well, at the time, it was a very good pro, uh, uh, theater program. So I got my MFA there, and uh, from there, I, I don't know, how old are you? <laughs> uh, I'm 37. Okay. Well, back then, when you went to a school like SMU or Northwestern or Juilliard or, uh, you know, Yale and all that, there was something called the League of Auditions. So at the end of your, uh, you know, when you were finished, you got to audition in New York for every casting director and every agent in town. They all show up. And I got a chance to do that. And uh, obviously I did well. I got an agent right away. And um, she, but, you know, I moved to New York and she started submitting me for uh, a lot of really big projects. You're and a my first, my, I'm sorry? You're a native New Yorker, right? Yes, I was born and raised here. Uh, raised in the Bronx, uh, born in a hospital, obviously in Manhattan, but raised in the Bronx. Was going to Dallas? We, was going to Dallas a little bit of uh, culture shock for you back then, or was it uh, you were kind of in oh, tunnel vision? No, no, it was culture shock for sure. I mean, I chose Dallas because I had a, a private audition with this uh, great teacher there, Jack Clay, and. Believe it or not, I couldn't afford to travel to New York to go to, and stay to, to audition for Yale or Juilliard, which I wanted to do, but it was just out of my realm. But this, uh, this other man came and met me in Florida, and, and I got accepted right away. So uh, it was, you know, kind of a, I was destined, you know. And... Um, well, actually, we lived in Miami. I got well, not even Miami. Okay, we. I, I, I hate to say it. we. I, I grew up in Homestead, Florida, <laughs> which I don't know if you know anything about. But yeah, I do a little bit. It's, uh, you do. Yeah. It's just it's it's like right before you leave for the Keys, you know, right. on your trek to the Keys, and it's it's also famous for Hurricane Andrew destroying it. I've been down to the Keys before one time, and uh, I remember yep. vi vividly passing yep. through. Yeah, Right, right. Well, so I uh, had always had it in my mind that I was going to leave Florida. I never liked Florida or Homestead or, you know, uh, for obvious reasons. Um, anyway, I made my way back to New York and with, with this agent set in place. And uh, things just started happening. And you got the agent while you were still a student at SMU? Is that kind of the time? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I did. Actually, I got my SAG card while I was in Dallas. Okay. Because at the time, I, like I said, you know, I come from very modest uh, means. And uh, I needed money to survive. So I had... I worked as a waitress. You're not supposed to work when you're in a program like that, but I had to. And I also had an agent in Dallas, and they sent me on a movie audition. And I got the movie, and I got my SAG card. And so by the time I got to New York, I had already had a SAG card. 
I saw your appearance on uh, Johnny Carson, and you mentioned on that interview that you were actually selling TV guides at one point. Was that when you were a student, yeah. or was that a, was that after? That that was in New York. Okay, <laughs> that was that was one of my many jobs. <laughs> what was the Johnny Carson experience like? You looked so like shell shocked and excited and ecstatic to be there. Any memories from that time? Yeah, I mean, listen. I grew up on Johnny Carson, and so to be on Johnny, it was just, it was sort of like, I can't believe I'm here talking to Johnny Carson. I really can't. And why does he want to talk to me? I don't know. Um, we got on very good. He's a nice, he was the nicest man to me. Uh, backstage, he would come to come up to me and try to make me less, you know, he would say, oh, don't be nervous. You're good at this. You know, he was very encouraging. But, you know, when you do a show like that, they they have an idea of what questions you're going to be uh, um, asked and how you're going to answer them. You know, they prep you for this. For these things. Well, your energy was very endearing, and it was I was actually a lot of fun <laughs> to watch because I you, you felt your youthful exuberance and just kind of like what what anybody who's gets asked to go on that show would feel like. You encapsulated it beautifully. So, well, I was I was very green. I mean, and I was still getting used to the fact that I was on a TV show and people were watching. You know, people were getting to to recognize me from TV. That was actually really bizarre. Talk about Miami Vice. It's a little past my era. I was very familiar with the show. I'm very familiar with Don Johnson. Um, I, I don't even think you were born yet. Uh, no, yeah, I was. Well, I was born in 1980, so I was I was a little child when it was yes, in its, in its peak run. But how big was that show? Was it the biggest show on TV? No, I don't know if it was the biggest show. I know that it it caught the attention. Uh, uh, world attention because people in, in Germany and France and you know they loved it. Now we were working on Friday nights when the show was airing, so I and we and we were the only show that was filming in Miami. Every other TV show was filming in Los Angeles, so we were sort of living in a bubble in Miami. You know, we I, I had no idea that it, it was taking off. There were a lot of women trying to get to John Johnson, you know, and they would try to get through me to Don Johnson or Philip Michael. And that would, to me, that was annoying. And uh, not that, that Olivia Brown and I weren't hot either on the show. We were pretty hot. And, you know, we, we all had sort of... Um, we all had to have like bodyguards by our our trailers because it was shooting in Miami was was spanking you again. You know, there hadn't been anything there since Flipper. And, you know, I'm I'm pretty um I would say I'm shy. It, you know, it but people go, Oh, stop it, how can you be shy? You're an actor. It, it's different living on the stage and, and living in a role than living in your own life. <laughs> sure. I don't know if that makes sense. So draw a line for me. Draw a line from Miami Vice to The Sopranos for me. How did you become involved with The Sopranos? Okay. So in between that, I 
moved back to New York. Uh, the other thing was I was the only person from New York hired on Miami Vice. Everybody else was from L.A. And they all basically, they all went back to L.A. I moved back to New York because my my dream was to do a theater, you know, which which that was my first big uh, I was on Broadway, like within a year and a half of being in New York City. And that's probably what got me, you know, noticed for Miami Vice and, and a lot of other movies. I was up for Scarface. Um, I was up for, uh, uh, oh, what's that movie with De Niro, um, Once Upon a Time in America. Oh, wow. You auditioned for yeah. that? Yeah. Well, the character was supposed to be Italian. And then, they, and then they changed it to, you know, a Jewish family. So that was that. Uh, when I was in my second year on Miami Vice, I auditioned for a movie because I never knew if Miami Vice was going to continue or not. So, you know, I just wanted to make sure that I was still, you know, being seen for stuff. And uh, it was a movie called Batteries Not Included that Spielberg's company uh, produced. And I got the role of, I think her name was Marissa. I, I think the character was Marissa. And Michael Mann basically refused to let me do the film, to, to release me for a month to do the film. See, they didn't do that back then. You you signed a five-year contract and you were there, you know, you had to be there no matter what. So that was very disappointing. Uh, Elizabeth Pena, who is no longer with us, was a great actress, and she ended up doing the role. But that, that role I was supposed to do, and uh, I met with Spielberg and all that. It was nice. You know, it was great. I thought I was going to uh, begin doing movies, but I had to uh, fulfill the five-year contract on Vice. Michael Mann, of course, was the showrunner for Miami Vice. He wasn't the showrunner; he was the producer. Producer, okay. Uh, we had many. We had many showrunners. Um, Anthony Yurkovich wrote it. He was also a producer. Um, Nicolella produced most of the shows. Dick Brams. Dick Wolf. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, Dick Wolf. Any director that's now famous shot a Miami Vice. <laughs> yeah. Actually, we can segue beautifully to The Sopranos with that, too. A lot of the writers and directors right. from that show have gone on to do really big projects. So let's try to, let's try to f- focus in on The Sopranos. So how... So then, so then uh, well, I moved back to New York. Um, life happen- happens. I got married. Uh to a man who lived in Greece. Uh, I kind of let my career go by the wayside because I was living in Greece. And then I I still kept auditioning for things whenever I could. And I did a lot of, you know, TV episodics. I did a lot of Broadway, Broadway musicals. Probably things you never even heard. Heard like one... 
a Gabriel Garcia Marquez story called Chronicle of a Death Foretold. You know, I, I sing and dance, so that's what I did in that. Um, I'm trying to think, nothing really major, although I happen to think my theater career is much more interesting, but you know, that theater comes and goes. It's not like movies and TV where it's, you know, you can see it over and over. Right. It's, it's kind of lost. It's kind of lost in the ether once the production is done. Yeah. Yeah. Why do actors seemingly prefer theater so much? I feel like I've talked to enough to know that there's like this love and this this certain sort of like revered place for theater as opposed to TV film projects. Can you give me a sense of what that is? Because I can even feel it in your voice that there's just sort of like a place that you hold theater that you don't hold other things. It's it's thrilling to do theater. It's live. It's, it's um, dangerous. And you can really... You're in control, you know, you're directed and, and everything, but ultimately you're the one who's in control along with another, you know, with other cast members and you have to make it real every night. It's, it's a challenge. It's thrilling. It's scary. I still get like, (laughs) this is weird to say, but 10 minutes before show goes up, I always have to go to the bathroom that's how scared I am because it's just magical because you never know what's going to happen. And I don't know why that's more revered because TV can be just as exciting and movies, you know, things can happen on the sound stage. They're really amazing, but somehow the theater, because you have an audience right there and you're getting feedback right away. It's, um, I guess that's why it's more thrilling. I don't know. Interesting. Well said. And I apologize for steering you away from getting me to the Sopranos. So I'll let you go back on that road. Well, anyway, so I I got divorced, which was another thing that sort of got in the way of my career because, I don't know, you're too young, but it takes a toll on you when you get a divorce. And you have to sort of bounce back. Anyway, I did. And I so I my agent's tell me I had this audition for this pilot and it wasn't quite picked up by any network. I, you know, I kept saying, well, who's, you know, is it NBC, CBS? Cause back then it was just, you know, a few networks and they said, no, but you know, read it. And so I read it. And my first reaction, and this is the truth. I went, this is the best pilot I have read in a long time. It was even better than Miami. Miami Vice's pilot was pretty well written too. But this this first draft of The Sopranos that I got to read was, I just went, wow, this is so good. I want to do this. You know, I really want to do. Now, the reason I was up for it, because I, again, <laughs> I was up for the role of um, Doctor. Uh, yeah, I even forgot the character. Doctor Melfi. Probably. Yes, I was up for Doctor Melfi. Wow. No, I tested for it. I they flew me to L.A. I read with uh, James. All the all characters were there. Everyone who was in the show was there, except Lorraine. Oh, and Edie Falco. She wasn't there. 
but they hadn't determined who was going to play the wife, Carmilla. And, and I, uh, so I read from Melfi and David Chase really liked me. He brought me back. He, he, he asked me to read for Carmilla. And I knew that I wasn't right for Carmilla. I mean, I was more right for Dr. Melfi. And why do you think that is? I don't know. I just, I, I mean, that's what I felt. I, I just think Carmela was a great character, you know, but I'd never played that kind of hard, hard edged woman before. I see. I mean, don't, don't you think she's a sort of hard edged woman? She had to be. Oh, it's, yeah, no, her, her arc and her evolution throughout the series is quite fascinating. And I'm still trying to get over the fact that you, you read for Melfi. I, you, you, this is, a, this is completely, this is completely amazing. Um, no, I knew you were going to get excited when you, when you <laughs> oh, believe me, uh, believe me, I'm, I'm holding myself together here. So, so that's how it started. You read for Melfi and, and David Chase liked it, but he uh, tried to steer you to Carmela or, or did, did no, I misunderstand? No, no, he. He wasn't sure, I guess. Okay. I mean, I don't know if they had found uh, uh, Edie yet. You know, I mean, Edie, Edie's a great, you know, she, she'd been kicking around and she had done this one great part on uh, Off-Broadway. And so um, I didn't know that she was, you know, she was going to get the role. Nobody knows anything. That's the name of an episode. Nobody knows anything. Is it really? Yeah, episode 10, season one. Nobody knows anything. Well, you know, that's, it's so weird because I can't believe I just said that because that's something that uh, William Goldman just wrote. Right, in his book, uh, Adventures in a Screen Trade. Maybe that's why I just read it and I'm using it now. He just passed away. I Did know, you know? Yeah. that's what I'm, yeah. So, and he's right. Nobody knows anything. You know, you just go in and do your best and hope for the best. So I was flown out to LA, like I was telling you, and I don't know if you know what what it's like to test for something. Are you familiar? I want to hear you tell me. Well, you know, they put you up, put you in a hotel, um, and the next day you get escorted, you know, car picks you up, and then you have to go into a room and uh, we actors like to call them the suits. Uh, I don't know what they wear nowadays, but in those days they were called the suits. They're still called the suits, but they don't wear suits anymore. Okay, that's what I thought. So uh, I'd been before suits before. In fact, my do I was tested for Miami Vice, so I you know that was my first time uh, before the suits and. Um, so I knew it's a very stressful situation because you're waiting there with one or two girls that are going to read as well. And all these people that might get cast, you know, you never know. So um, I was there was another woman there. And that was it. It was just me and this other woman. I don't even know who the other woman was. And I know that I went in and I read alone and then I read with James and I know that I did great. I, I'm, I'm not, you know, 
I'm a very modest person, but I know that I did great on the, in that character because I just loved it. I loved this character. No, I felt like I had so much to offer because I had studied to be a psychiatrist in school. I was kind of, uh, you know, a geek uh, in a way during college. Um, I was also of ethnic ethnicity. Uh, so, you know, what I thought about uh, uh, Dr. Melfi was she was trapped in between being very Italian and then being a very intellectual, you know, smart woman. Mm-hmm. Am I right? I don't know. Yeah, no, it's uh, there's a dichotomy of her, her intellectualism, but when she's with Tony, uh, she yes. she takes the gloves off from time to time and she kind of reverts. Exactly. She reverts to the mean a little bit, and that's exactly what's so attractive about her. Not in a physical way, but in a in like a just a visceral uh, way. She pops off the screen still to this day, and all she's doing the whole time is sitting in a chair. You know, it's a very which is very powerful. Um, can I ask what was it like reading? opposite James Gandolfini in these early, early stages. Was he Tony Soprano, or was he still feeling it out himself? Mm, You know, that's an interesting question. I think that he was doing his Tony Soprano. I mean, I was actually surprised when he got it, because I saw other actors who were more uh, well-known that were reading. I can't remember them right now, but the, I, everybody I knew was reading for, the, for Tony Soprano. Well, the biggest, the, the biggest one of all, though, was Ray Liotta, and he declined, correct? Do you know anything about that? No, I don't. I don't know that he declined. The lore is that it was he was on the short list in the beginning, the dream list, if you will, but he didn't want to go from film to TV. It was kind of a step down. Isn't that interesting? That's what, what's amazing is that, of course, James read well. He was wonderful. And I thought we had a nice uh, connection. I don't know, maybe, maybe I I came off too sensual or sexy. I don't know. Some, you know, I was, uh, uh, I don't know. But I thought we did good and I thought he was great. I didn't know if he was going to get it because when I was reading the role of, of when I got Miami Vice, I read with two other guys who played, you know, who were uh, trying to get Don Johnson's part. So you just never know yeah. when you, when you go in there. Anyway, no, he was great. I, I didn't, I wasn't familiar with him to, to be honest. I was not familiar with James. Not many people were at that James point. Israel. But here's the interesting thing. My agent called me after I got out of the test uh, test job, and he said, well, I don't know if this is, this is probably going to upset you, but uh, they're considering Lorraine Bracco for the role of Dr. Melfi. And at that point, I knew I didn't have it. And I can't tell you how upset and depressed I got. <laughs> It took me a long time to get over that, you know, because I was just wanting it so much. And I thought I was 
so perfect for it, you know. But um, of course, you get over it, you know. For what it's worth, I've watched the show enough times. Um, and again, you threw me for a total loop here. I'm, I'm still sort of like reeling from this, but I can totally see you as a Melfi type character. I totally see, yeah, I totally yeah. see what David Chase saw and I totally get it. It's just, it's obviously now when you look back in hindsight, like Dr. Melfi is, Lorraine Bracco and Dr. Melfi are connected. Um, and you know, it's like just a timeless character, but, uh, getting this, hearing this story from you, um, if you're counting on your fingers, characters that I've seen on the show, um, uh, who could, who, we always do this on the podcast too. Who would the 2018 version of Dr. Melfi be? Who would the 2018 version of Hunter Scangarello be? We do this as kind of like a fun thing. And um, I totally am going to bring this up with my cast of characters that I do the podcast with, that Sandra Santiago was on the short list for Melfi. And You know what's interesting is that, I don't know if this is a rumor, maybe you know, Lorraine, they, they offered Carmela to Lorraine. And she didn't want to play another gangster's wife. Yeah. And I think that's how they got her was they spun it to like, well, what if we have this other role for you? But yes, that's actually right. very true. Multiple people have verified that. I think David Chase has even mentioned it in, in, in interviews. There's a book coming out in January about all this again. And, um, and, and so, yeah, that's actually, that's not folktale. That's actually real. So fascinating stuff. So, yeah. So that's, you know, when that happened, I, I knew I was out of the game. Because I, like I said, I didn't think I was right for uh, uh, Carmela. I never thought I was right. Did you read for anything else? No, no. I had read for Carmela, like I said, in the initial stages. But I was tested for Dr. Melfi. Okay. So when do you get the call? When is Jeannie Cusimano born? Okay, so... I don't know. I, you know, you can imagine how disappointed I was. I just wanted to forget, forget about the whole experience. Uh, And the show starts and it's so good. And I knew it was going to have an impact. And I was, I was always steaming, you know, I can't believe this, you know. Were you watching? Um, Of course. Of course. It was just, you know, I knew it was going to be great. I just knew it. And I, I, I just thought David Chase was just the greatest thing. You know, I never even heard about him either, but I didn't know that he had done that other show. Um, uh, what, what was the other show he did that was odd? Uh, Northern Exposure. Something. Northern Exposure. It, yeah, yeah, which was an odd kind of show as well. Dark and, and melancholy. Um, yes. Yeah. Can you talk about your interactions with David Chase at that early stage? What was it like? First of all, did he tell you you didn't get the part, or did someone else tell you you didn't get the part? No, no, my agent told your me agent I didn't told get you. the part. No, nobody wants to tell anyone when they don't get the part. Yeah. <laughs> what was he like, though? Was he laser focused, or was he? Did he know this show in and out what it was going to be at the early stage, or was it all kind of like let's just get this pilot done and see what happens? You know, I I don't know. Okay. I mean, okay. he he to me he came off extremely pro- professional and yes, uh, uh, focused on getting it to happen because I don't even think it was a sure thing. No, when it first, you know, nobody. It was a strange kind of concept that hadn't been bought yet, right? You know, by any network. So, but. 
he was very great at the auditions. You know, he was very helpful. Um, he didn't rush you in or, you know, but there was no chit-chatting. You really do that, in a, especially for roles like that. You know, you just go in there and you just concentrate. Um, he was very nice, always very nice and respectful to me, always. So I think, in a way, he felt bad. I don't know. I'm just guessing that. So one day I get a call. Uh, would, they want to know if you're interested in playing the next door neighbor who might be a recurring role. And I almost said no, because I was still upset, you know. But then my husband, my second husband, <laughs> in between I got married, um, between Miami Vice. Well, I on Miami Vice I was married to this Greek, and then I, we got divorced, and then I married my present husband, who's very stable and very good husband right now. <laughs> Anyway, um, he told me, do it, do it, Sandy. You know, you never know where it's going to lead. You know how they say that. Yeah. So I went, okay. And I actually enjoyed Jeannie because she's sort of a, I don't know, I kind of looked at her like a Lucy character. You know, she's just like the the more proper Italian woman who's living now by a gangster, you know, and her husband, who's a doctor, you know, an uppity Italian. Am I right? It was more, she was more like refined and more, you know, not so, not gangsterish wife at all. Yeah. And judgy as a result of that, you know, very judgy towards the the Sopranos behind, behind their back. Um, (laughs) what do you remember most about that aspect of the show and about your time um what are some things that just that that have stayed with you well we had fun uh you know he was played by patty lapone's brother robert lapone right and uh i had already met robert I guess before so it was it was like hey hey yeah we're playing husband and wife you know and um there's a scene where you you and him are staring at a box that Tony gives right. you and fans just have always we always asks was anything actually in the box any recollection No no we nobody there was we weren't told if anything was actually in the box basically Tony was screwing with us Of course yeah He wanted us to think that there was maybe a bomb that would go off at any moment or maybe uh, money that's, you know, taint, I mean, money that's, uh, what do you call it? Uh, tainted. Numbered money, right. tainted money, or uh, who knows? You know, we're, we're so dumb in yeah. that, uh, you know. Naive, naive. We're, okay, naive, you're right. We were so naive, and that's how we were directed to to approach the box. And, like, I don't know, I don't know. You and, and, you know, when I went to go, he said, no, don't touch it. <laughs> Where were those backyard scenes shot? Were they on location where the houses were? Or or was that, yeah, was that on a yeah. set? In the first year, they were in the homes. 
I know that the Soprano house, the interiors were all staged. They were all set up at, at Silver Cup Studios, but the exterior shots were at the actual residence. And that residence, still, yes. still to this day, people travel to it and take the photo and they do the walk down the driveway and they pick up a newspaper. Um, so the backyard, oh, funny. the backyard scene where, where Tony and Bruce talk a few times and when you and Carmela talk, where Carmela asks you to write her or to have your yes. sister, who's play, also played was- by you, write her daughter a recommendation <laughs> letter that was an exterior of the house that was actually filmed on location yes that was filmed on location and there was a a, i don't know if it was a a fence that was already there but we you know that fence was there the whole idea was she sees me cleaning up and she catches me and you know i've been trying to avoid her ever since we got that box right that's my my story trying to keep the story going for myself now, the scene where you're playing you and your sister at the same time, uh, it was a little camera trickery, but how was that actually shot? Was yeah. that shot separately? Did you do two separate scenes and was it a split screen? Or can you give us a little bit of like production insight as to how that scene was oh, actually put together? Yeah, I, you know, it was it was new for everyone involved. I don't know if the cameraman, maybe the cameraman had already done this, but I got the sense that this was something new they were trying to do the twin thing, which is very difficult for the actor because you have to, to act within a certain range, an imaginary range. Don't ask me why, because like I had to keep my hands within a certain range that they, we visually uh, decided what that range was so that they can do that trickery with the other, you know, with the other part. And the first thing when, so then my, okay. So then my agent called me, my manager actually called me. I had a manager that was in LA and he said, well, you got a call to play Jeannie Cusimano again. And I went, Oh, great. You know, he says, but wait, wait till you hear this. This is not only are you going to play Jeannie, you're going to play your twin. Joan <laughs> I said, what? It just cracked me up. I just thought this is kind of nutty. You know, the show was so dark and all of a sudden they're going to have twins. Yeah. But if, but if you think, if you look back, I think that David has a thing with twins because there were another pair of twins in the show. Remember? Uh huh. Yep. The two guys, but, you never saw them together. No, the Parisis, Patsy Parisi and his brother. Yes. Yeah. Twins, right? Yeah. And there's a set of twin uh, children, twin boys. Correct. And then, Am I right? Yeah. And then there's also the ducks. The ducks were identical ducks and Tony and those damn ducks. You see, you see, you see. So I think he has a... So when I got the script... I, I thought, oh, this is great. I, I guess for all my trouble, this is what he wrote for me, you know, this, this episode, which I just, I thought it was great. It's a fantastic scene. Well, that's funny, but I mean, the whole thing about shooting, they asked me, do you have a sister that looks like you? <laughs> they tried to save some said, money on the production end and try <laughs> to just yeah, make it easy. I said, no, no, I don't have a sister. Well, do you have, I mean, do you have someone you, you know that looks like you? Because they would have to be the person that's talking to me. 
And they would have to be the person to learn everything, exactly what I did. They had to match everything I did in both characters. And I just so happened to have a best friend named Pam McCool. She's one of my best friends or my best friend. And she she was living in Miami at the time. And we're the same height. We have the same sort of dark, you know, hair. And every time we travel together, people have always said, are you sisters? Like in, in, in Italy, when we were in Italy, signorelli, signorelli, that means are you sisters, you know? And we go, no, no, we're not sisters. Anyway, they flew her to New York and she got the part because, you know, they were auditioning for this to play my, um, my stand-in. And she got it. And she had to learn everything I had to do, everything. And here's a little tidbit for you. She, she was in New York, and she was a nervous wreck. And she says, I have to be with you every minute now. I said, what are you talking about? She says, I have to, to copy all your mannerisms. She wanted said, to go okay, method. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so so we, we went out to dinner one night. Uh, around Lincoln Center, there's a, a really good, uh, I think it's gone now, but there's a famous restaurant there um, right, on, right at Lincoln Center. And we're, we're sitting there having dinner, and there comes walking in, David, I mean, uh, my director comes walking in, Alan Coulter walks in, and he's with a bunch of other guys, and he sees us together, and we're like, hey, <laughs> this is what a coincidence, blah, 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 and he actually said, okay, now, I want you girls to memorize each other. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to memorize. Well, he said that to my friend. And of course, then she became more of a nervous wreck, you know, because by that time, The Sopranos was a big hit. And, you know, here she wanted to make an impression. So, well, we, oh, and I didn't tell you. Oh, while I'm shooting the twin episode, I'm doing a soap opera i was on a soap a soap opera guiding light you were a regular on that right yeah yeah i was playing carmen santos so they had to work around my schedule with the soap opera and the soap opera um uh, a producer allowed me to do the sopranos of course he actually fitted into the schedule at that point within the industry was the show like big and was it considered prestigious kind of like what was like was the producer of oh, guiding yeah. light a watcher yes yeah I, you can't imagine the jealousy that was created by that on on a soap opera set i mean i literally it was a, the one time i've been working so hard. I literally would go in in the morning to do the soap opera. They'd pick me up and then I'd shoot whatever was left of what I had to do with the twin episode. I mean, they, they did work very well together. They understood my schedule and they worked around that, which I, that's very unusual for two productions to work around an actor. Very unusual especially not a famous actor, you know, at that point. I mean, I was a name, but not, you know. Anyway, 
It was the most fun. That's amazing. So the show goes on, right? I mean, it's it's many many seasons. When you were when you were off the show, was there ever a possibility of you being back on? Because you are his, you are their neighbor after all. Was the door left open? I guess is my question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was, but you know, it all depends on what the writers are going to write, or you know, in what other characters they're going to introduce, and what storylines they think will be, you know, most interesting. While you were off the show, were you a, were you a regular watcher? Were you keeping up with it as the seasons were progressing? Yes. Okay. Of course. My husband and I. What's the show's legacy? from someone who was there? I think with any new show, you never know when the magic is going to occur. And I think it, all the stars aligned with this show. And, uh, and that's, um, you know, David Chase, all the directors, Alan Coulter, who directed a lot of the episodes. And um, that's why I was so upset before. You know what I mean. Anyway, I can imagine um, sure you have every reason to be. It's a. Uh, it's it, you found. You still found. You still somehow found your way into the show, though. There's a title named after you. I dream of Jeannie Kuzumano. <laughs> Even though surprisingly, you're not in that episode, which everybody always talks about. It's the weirdest thing. I know. Yeah. I know. Um, I just think it's a very extremely well written show, extremely well produced because there was always. Of professionalism, uh, you know, everything comes from the top. And if the top is, you know, first class and professional, you know that that's going to come down to all the other players. And there was never a moment when it was uncomfortable or it was just, the most well-run, oiled show, show in my opinion. Are there any similarities between, I mean, you worked for two titans, essentially, David Chase and, and Michael Mann. Are there any similarities that the two of them possess? Well, yeah, I guess vision. I mean, Michael Mann's more of a, an, you know, artist. You know, he sees things visually. Uh, I think David Chase is more about... Um, Content and storytelling. Interesting. And not that, not that they both have everything. They wouldn't be where they are. But, you know, Michael's really into the visual. Down to an outfit you're wearing. Um, you know, I don't think David Chase would, I don't know. I don't think he'd be more into that. I think he'd leave it up to the other people to decide that. But, I think the storytelling was very important to the characters and where their arcs were going. Well said. Whereas Vice was, um, you know, there's a lot of chaos on Miami Vice. <laughs> was very chaotic at times. Um, I mean, we, we, would, we wouldn't get scripts until like the day of, you know, shooting. Oh, I see. So, so the Sopranos was much more organized. I think so, but I heard they did that too. You yeah. know, last minute changes heard, and stuff. I, yeah, yeah. Michael's much more of a chaotic, artistic man. You know, where David is much more study. You know, he he knows what he's going for right away. 
Does, does that make any sense? The difference between working on these two sets was one was very stable, the Sopranos set, you know, set, and the other was so chaotic all the time. Um, I have a couple more questions for you. Where were you when you heard the news that James Gandolfini had died? Well, I was in New York, and to be honest, I wasn't surprised because I just had heard about his not being healthy, you know. He had ups and downs. And he he actually lived around the corner from me. I live in the West Village, and he lived around here. Edie Falco lived around here, too. I think she's moved away, but um, I used to see him in the neighborhood all the time. Um, and I wouldn't chit-chat with him because he always seemed very, very... Uh, you know, he became a star so fast. And when that happens, it's very, it can be off-putting, you know. It's, I, I think he was, I think he was also innately shy. And this character put him on, on such a, you know, a map that I don't know if he was prepared for it. Do you think anybody ever is? No. He turned that, character into this you know this this incredible like Arthur Miller character you know I mean well said people like us people like me uh, and I'm not the only one by the way there's people have written books about him and the show and his character and the protagonist the good side the bad side you know how he was how his character was as a father versus the real world and um, it's just there's just copious copious amounts of like academic uh, writing and analysis on him and the show. Um, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's just, it's just, it's, it's a little overwhelming. Um, but it was, you, you, you captured it very beautifully. Like it was lightning in a bottle and the timing, it was like perfect storm of events. I, I, I hope you get to, um, get David Chase to talk to you because of course he knows it all. Right. Well, you know, I, I, I joke with my friends and I joke with my wife too, that my whole goal for this, like I, I have a production company and I do this for a living. We make other shows for people and stuff and companies, but this is a passion project. And if at the end of it all, I get to sit down with him, um, and actually talk very little about the Sopranos. I just really want to talk about him and his process and his, and what he thinks and the way he sees the world, because he's probably answered every question there is to answer. But, um, thank you for saying that. I don't know. I would love to. I would he love to see him. He seems very mysterious these days, you know. Well, so that was my last I, question for you. Actually, uh, do you know anything about his prequel movie, and are you are you going to be in it? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I have no idea. Okay, is that true? Yeah, he has a prequel movie out. It's coming out. It's called The Many Saints of Newark, and it takes place in 1960s New Jersey around the time of the riots. And essentially, there's going to be a young Tony Soprano. There's going to be a young, uh, obviously, oh, ju- junior. It's going to be basically be the Johnny Soprano story, but it's going to be loosely based on it. It's going to be a different universe of characters, but the the Soprano. Uh, uh, the Soprano crew will have a role and it's actually in production right now. So I was hoping that you were going to break some news and say that, yes, I'm playing. Look, I'd love to work with him again, of course. Um, but, and if he asked me, I would do it in a second, you know? Um, but I don't think, I don't, I'll ask about it. 
Who knows? Yeah, well, maybe I, there's another cat. I, I mean, I, I don't look like Jeannie anymore. No, well, you can, you know, there's a lot I can of, play an old grandmother. Yeah, you know, there's always, there's always, there's always something if you think about it. But it is actually happening, and a lot of a lot of fans are actually kind of torn about it. There, some people are like embracing it, and some people are like, let's leave it alone. It doesn't need to be touched. Um, and I'm not really sure. I mean, I feel like all these reboots. My my. Miami Vice was rebooted. Everything gets rebooted these days. So well, the movie was it should never have been done. I mean, my, I mean, it, I don't. I mean, I remember talking to Michael Mann about the movie because I said, "Are you going to put me in it?" And he said, "No, we're not doing it like everybody does. <laughs> That's what he's. We're not. We're not using you know original characters. Right. It's a whole new thing." And I went, okay, you know, whatever. Because uh, I did, you know, I, I talked to him. The last time I talked to him was when I was actually shooting this thing called Gang Related. And, he, you know, he has an office out there in, uh, in oh, I forget where it is. I'm, I, I, I don't, you know, I go to L.A., but I don't really know L.A. That's how weird that is. I never really get to know L.A., you just come just in, you do your thing. I, yes. <laughs> I know all around, anywhere around where the, uh, where the, um, that home hotel is. Cause I had stayed there a few times, the Chateau Marmont. Oh my gosh. My office, my, my studio where I'm talking to you from right now is literally across the street from the Chateau Marmont. So no, stop I'm, it. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it right now from my window. No joke. Would you know how many times I've walked in that area and I've been stopped because men think I'm like hooking or something, you know, because no, nobody walks and, and you know, <laughs> they think they just stop and wave. And I'm like, get out of here. You know, I mean, I'm and I'm not even dressed like a hooker. They just think that if you're walking, you're a hooker. LA's become a little more walkable. It's not New York walkable, but there's a lot of transplants from the city that come out here. They start ra- they've started to raise families here, and there's there's definitely pockets where it's walkable. But uh, I would say I would agree with you. I, I don't see too many people outside <laughs> my office. Um, Sandra, this has been an absolute delight. Thank you so much. Your character is timeless and immortalized. We we love her, and everything that you brought to it was amazing. Think about the the twin thing too. That's to me that's an interesting uh, that he wrote three sets of twins into this show. Well, he does love triplets. He does love things in threes too. That's another thing that we've talked about. So now that there's three sets of twins, oh. that just plays into that as well. That everything. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, a lot of triplicates. Okay. So. Okay. It's, it's, All right. Well, it's it's been a pleasure. Take care. Thank you.